This is episode number 120 with Tom Raftery. Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network. Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. Did you know that the EU's adoption of the European climate law will soon cost non-complying EU and non-EU companies a huge amount? Yep, that's right. The law proposes a GHG emissions reduction target of 55% compared to 1990 levels, which has to be achieved by 2030, and that's not very far away. Between 1990 and 2021, only 24% reduction has been achieved, which leaves a whopping 31% to achieve in the next eight years. Now, the pressure to become more sustainable is mounting, and with supply chains generally being responsible for the majority of the emissions a company produces, supply chain leaders are burdened with the challenge of rapidly accelerating their sustainability agendas. In this episode, I'm joined by Tom Raftery. He's the Global VP, Futurist and Innovation Evangelist of SAP, and the host of the Climate 21 Digital Supply Chain and Industry Insights podcast. We're going to be drawing on our collective conversations on sustainability and exploring the technologies that can help organizations accelerate their sustainability agendas. This is a very important and timely topic, so I'm very excited to have Tom here with me. Let's get started. Right, Tom, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you being here on the podcast. Maria, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Well, so Tom, I've got a lot of questions for you, and I guess I should start with the fact that, you know, you wear a lot of hats, and no pun intended, I know you're wearing a hat right now. Uh, you're a global VP, futurist, and innovation evangelist at SAP. Uh, you showcase the latest happenings in the world of supply chain technologies on your digital supply chain podcast. You highlight successful climate emissions uh, reduction strategies on, and stories on the Climate 21 podcast. I guess the big question from that I have for you is, where did this passion come from for supply chain technology and sustainability? Where was it born? Yeah, so good question. Um, the sustainability one is uh, it's long standing. So um, while I'm in the technology industry by profession, uh, I've always, always been very, very close to nature. Um, it's always been a, a, a love of mine. Mm. Uh, a lot of it, I think, is down to my dad. Uh, when I was growing up in Cork in Ireland, uh, he used to bring me out every weekend to the countryside and, you know, we'd go walking in the fields and things like that. He came from an agricultural background. Mm -hmm. And uh, then as I was in my teens, I got my first few summer jobs. I worked in a wildlife park. And the wildlife park I worked in is called Fota Wildlife Park, and it's uh, dedicated specifically to the breeding of endangered species. So I okay. got to work with cheetahs. I got to work with the zebra and giraffe, all kinds of monkeys, scimitar horned oryx, all these kinds of amazing animals. Fabulous, fabulous time. And then when I started in university, uh, I went into science because I wanted to do biology. Uh, so I, I did and I finished in biology in 91 and then started into postgrad. And while I was doing that, I became hooked on computers. Okay. So 
Good uh, timing to do that. Good timing exactly, to do that. Exactly. So <laughs> I started doing, I started teaching people how to use computers initially and then got into software development and mm -hmm. then set up a software development company in 95 with a buddy of mine. And we grew the company and grew the company. And then we merged with another company in 2002. And, you know, so uh, I, I, I left my love of nature and biology to go into my other great passion of technology. And then uh, around 2006, 2008, I started getting into kind of uh, sustainability, which I have kind of developed now as well, such that I'm able to combine the two things that I love, the sustainability, the nature, biodiversity, climate change, all that kind of stuff, along with technology and some of the technological solutions that are helping address some of the problems in the other fields. So it's, it's, it's a fun time for me that I'm able to work in the two things that I'm most passionate about. Well, you know, not a lot of people can say that. And, yeah. and, and you know what, you and I, we speak to a lot of professionals and a lot of different people in our respective podcasts. We're, you know, I'm, I noticed that I have we've a third been having... podcast, by the way, just yeah, well, tell, tell us all about it. <laughs> tell us about the third podcast, because I know it, it, I don't think you sleep, do you? Is, is... No? I'm publishing four episodes a week. So that and, and that's that's just the podcasting stuff I do. So it it does keep me busy. The, the, so the supply chain one is every Monday and Friday. The climate one is every Wednesday. And then mm -hmm. I've started a new one called the Industry Insights by SAP podcast, which goes out every Thursday. So yeah, oh, wow. Keep... <laughs> well, that, well, you know, what a time to be alive, though, like you say, you know, to be talking about su supply chain technology, uh, sustainability. What, what I was going to say is that, you know, if I rewind back a couple of years ago, sustainability is something people have sort of been talking about for quite some time. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think. To forget, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think people get it. They get that you, we kind of need to do something about it. But the question is whether or not there's actually action real true action being you know that's taking place today from, from the conversations you have you know do, do you think that there is a disconnect between awareness and action yeah it's it's a good question um i think a lot of people started to become interested in sustainability back around 2005, 2006. That was around the time that Al Gore released his Inconvenient yeah. Truth movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember exactly what, which year it was, but that, that had a huge impact on a lot of people. Mm. And uh, it then around 2008, when we had the crash, uh, the financial crash, interest waned a little. Yeah. And then companies started to get back into it again in the kind of early 2010s, maybe 2012, 2013, 2014, that kind of ballpark. But a lot of the um, attention that was being given to sustainability around that time was being led by the CMO departments in organizations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was, I don't want to use the term greenwashing, but it wasn't as... Uh, well, come on, you can use the term greenwashing. It kind of was, <laughs> kind of was, and it kind of still so, is in some places. And, and, you know, some of the efforts were very genuine and some people achieved some good results. Uh, it's just, it wasn't always for the, the best of reasons, you know, or, mm. or maybe it was, maybe marketing is, is, is as important yeah, as, yeah. As, as, as sustainability for some companies. But more recently, since 2020, uh, things have changed. 
Well, and I think we're up against it, aren't we? I mean, we we're our, our backs backs against the wall here. You know, we don't have much choice. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of it goes. A lot of it uh, can be traced back to the Paris Climate Agreement in December 2015. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, where countries set out aims. 195 countries signed up to it, and now we're hitting 2020. What we're calling the decade of action. When we got to mm. 2020, I was afraid that when COVID hit in February, that this would disappear of people's agendas. But a lot of people said that. A lot of people yeah. said that because because the priorities had shifted. But I, I, tell me weirdly, what you think. But I, weird, I, well, I was just going to say, it, weirdly. It, 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 seemed to, it seemed to do the opposite. I, I have no idea how that worked or why, but it did. It, it, it had the opposite effect for some reason that I can't explain. But it has become even more important now. Some of that is timing, and, and I'm not talking about COVID. Some of that, I think, was it was going to happen anyway because yeah. we're in the 2020s and because we've made the commitments that we've made. Um, I don't know if you saw, but the EU signed up in June this year to mandate a 55% reduction in emissions by 2030. Mm -hmm. And that's legally yeah. binding on all 27 nations of the EU now. And, I mean... It, it's fine to throw a number up in the air like that, 55% by 2030. What does that actually mean? Well, to put some context behind that number, uh, this 55% is, this is against our 1990 baseline. Mm -hmm. So against our 1990 baseline, we have so far managed to reduce our emissions 24%. Okay. That means we have another 31% to go Yeah. in eight yeah. years. How are you we know, going to do that? How are we going to? It's going to take everyone, though. It it's is. going to take all businesses to do that. And I think a lot of the conversations I have with people are around operationalizing this change, you know, yep. really making this change a pivotal, fundamental pillar of their business objectives. So I, I guess to go back to that, do you do? I mean, it's a pretty loaded question. Do you think that a lot of companies are doing it, are talking about it? Are they actually actioning it? It, it depends, as, as is the answer to so many of these questions. Yeah. And, and that's not me trying to cop out, but some companies are doing amazing things and yeah. other companies are doing less. Uh, so it depends. Um, I mean, the, 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 the point is, though, they will have to. Companies who are not today will have to because they'll be legally mandated to do so. Mm. There's a huge amount of legislation coming down the pike, uh, which either hasn't been thought of yet or hasn't been legislated yet or hasn't come into force yet. But it will because we, we're, we're eight years away from 2030. And That's just upon us. I mean, it's, it's it, like yeah. you say, it's it, and eight years, to, not a long time. And, and in the EU, we have to get it down 55. It's legally binding on all 27 nations. So it actually has to happen. If it doesn't, there will be massive fines issued to the, the countries that don't get there. So as we get closer to 2030, each individual country is going to start realizing how far off track we are. And the, the regulations are going to come down heavy and hard. Uh, I, if I remember correctly, I think it's in 2024, all companies with more than, and I'm, I might be in the wrong, uh, I might have the numbers wrong here, but I'm not off in terms of ballpark. Mm. So I think it's, I think it's companies with more than 500 employees or 10 million in revenue will have to start reporting their emissions. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's a year, a year, just over a year away. It's 2024. 
Now, I don't know if it's the start of the year or the end of the year. So, you know, there's wiggle room yeah, but, there. So but, 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 but what you're talking about are things that have a huge knock-on effect across an entire business. I mean, yep. let, let's talk briefly about here, here in the UK where I live, um, the uh, petrol crisis that we recently had, you know, where uh, even in my hometown, there was no petrol station or gas station for those of us that are American that was open. We were lining up, we were queuing up for gas, like if it was the 1970s or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and okay, but and so some people are saying that this is part of the government. Uh, I mean, yes, supply chain issues, lorry drivers, etc. But part of the government's initiative to change from E5 to E10 petrol, uh, which is more sustainable, more uh, friendly for the environment. So if, if this was caused or to, to some degree by that decision, Imagine all the decisions that regulatory compliance is thrusting upon us. So as a supply chain professional, which is my audience, as a supply mm-hmm. chain professional, there's a lot coming down the road that we need to be thinking oh, yeah. about that's going to have an impact on trucking, logistics, uh, hiring, uh, you know what I mean, reporting, data, analytics, right? Completely. I mean, the shift to the electrification of transportation is well, well underway now. Uh, if I If I remember correctly, I think the numbers for... September for sales of electric cars was close to 20% in Western Europe of, mm-hmm. of, of new sales, of new car sales or new registrations. So, I mean, it, last year it would have been single digit and this year it's yeah. about, it's, I think it's 18 or 19%. So not quite 20%, but not far off it. Um, and then that's going to shift not just for personal transportation, but for public transport and for logistics. I mean, last mile delivery, even long Mm -hmm. distance trucking is going to go fully electric as well. And when you combine that with the requirement to shift the generation of electricity to renewable energy as well, you then get a massive, massive shift to more sustainable transportation. And that that will happen and that that will happen very quickly. In fact, it will happen really quickly in fleets of vehicles because of economics, because it's much, much, much cheaper to operate an electric vehicle than it is a petrol or diesel one. And, you know, (laughs) fleet managers, it's economics, you know, that's what drives them pardon the pun. So <laughs> it's, it's you know, when they're looking at the numbers, maintenance for an EV is about 50% of the cost of maintenance for uh, an, an internal combustion engine vehicle. Uh, and then the, the fuel costs are, well, it depends on the, co- the cost of electricity in of whatever region you're in and the cost of fuel, but it's typically one third the cost of, uh, of, of diesel or petrol. You know, so right there, the those fleets will jump really, really quickly to to electric. So that's that's going to happen very quickly. As we get closer to 2030, you're going to start to see companies uh, base all of their business decisions, not just on the financial implications, but also on the emissions implications, because they will have to, they will be required to, they will be mandated to report their emissions, they'll be mandated to set targets and report against those targets. That's going to happen very quickly. They will also be required uh, to include emissions in RFPs, RFQs, that kind of thing as well, so that if you are making a purchasing decision, if you're on the other side of that RFP, RFQ, mm. if you are making a purchasing decision, you can decide based on emissions as well as purchase price. You know, so all these kind of things are coming down the line. So, that, so, so the impact is going to be on your second, ter- third tier suppliers on your whole chain, really. Correct. Uh, you know, and, and so again. 
I, I think while, we're while on. I'm talking about the EU specifically, because, you know, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm based in Spain and so part yeah. of the EU. Uh, the EU is going to put in place a carbon border tax. They're already talking to the World Trade Organization yeah. about it. Initially, it'll be for high carbon items like steel and things like that, but it will it will filter down over time the way these things always do. That'll be the thin end and thin edge of the wedge. So you'll start to see anything coming into the EU from outside. Uh, if it has a high carbon content, it'll be hit with a carbon tax to you know level the playing field. Look, from from what you're saying and from what I think everyone's reading, uh, you know, we have to do something. It, there is no there is no question now. We have to do something. And even then, like like we talked about, the impact is going to be felt for everyone. You know, I don't think we're going to have much choice now. Sustainability to, to, is something that we have to do. To to put it in kind of, I mean, the, 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 the scale of the change that's going to have to happen is unimaginable for most people, I think. And to try and put some perspective on it for you and for the listeners, l we need to reduce our carbon emissions to, between now and 2050. We need to reduce our carbon emissions 7% a year, each mm -hmm. year between now and 2050. Wow, wow. 7% is the amount of emissions that we reduced in 2020. This year, 2021, it's gone right back up again. Really? So, you know, the 7% that we were supposed to reduce this year didn't happen. So it means we need to do at least 14% this, you know? Exactly. And, and think of the scale of the change that we saw last year, and that was 7%, and we have to do that kind of scale of change every year between now and 2050. It's going to require a monumental effort. Let's be realistic. Yeah. And it's going to require a mindset shift it's going to require a mindset shift from the board of directors down to the factory floors, to the truck drivers, to the consumer. You know, I mean, uh, uh, I was having a conversation the other day with the, the guy that does my hair. You can always have a good conversation with someone who's doing your hair. You know, the, the people that really, uh, well, uh, that, is that why you wear the hat? Is that why you wear the hat? Part of it. Part of it. <laughs> well, so my hairdresser, right? So he was saying to me, he said, you know what? Um, he's a guy about my age, but he was saying that we don't understand sacrifice, our generations, or scarcity here in the Western world, or scarcity. And then I look at my 85, 86 year old dad, and you know, he was saying to me, he said, you know, these days, if you want to eat a strawberry during Christmas, you can, because it'll be brought to you from wherever you are, wherever in the world you can get a strawberry, a fresh one at that. Yeah. Whereas we need to work, live in a world where we go back to how it was when I was a kid, this is my dad talking, um, where you ate strawberries during the strawberry season so as not to cause so much disruption or cost. Or, so I think that's what I mean, a mindset shift. Yeah, no, completely. But there's also the alternative of having huge indoor vertical farms and then yeah, you well, can grow strawberries wherever, whenever. You know, Which I, will create jobs, which will it, create jobs, which will be good for the economy. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I, I, I spoke on the climate podcast to uh, a guy called Mark Corzilius, and he's the CEO of a company called And Ever. And mm -hmm. And Ever is a company that does have massive indoor vertical farms. They have one in the desert in Kuwait, where they're producing 500 kilos of fresh greens every day. And they're shipping them to the, the local market in Kuwait and they're being, you know, they're being consumed locally. And of course, if uh, if you are growing your greens in a big indoor vertical farm, you're, you're using 5% of the water that you would mm -hmm. 
to produce the same greens if you're doing it outside. Uh, Hydroponics. Essentially, essentially, yeah. And uh, you, so because it's indoors, you, you have no need for herbicides or pesticides, mm-hmm. you know, so it becomes virtually organic. Uh, and you don't, because you're growing it to deliver to a local market, you don't have to optimize for shelf life. Mm-hmm. You know, you can optimize for things like nutrition and taste, you know, so right. it's, it's a far better proposition. And they're now growing, they're, they're, they're building a new one now in Singapore, which they hope to produce one and a half tons of fresh greens a day for the Singapore market. Well, this is, this is again about smart thinking, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's about, I think if it's been happening, like you say, and COVID perhaps was a great accelerator for change, at least one hopes. Uh, but I, I think that it's, um, it's, it's about having to work in a smarter way. And the opportunity that COVID brought us, again, I always say this, it's, Obviously, there's some terrible, terrible things and loss with COVID. But if it's done anything, it's given us the opportunity to rethink, to mm-hmm. rethink old models, to rethink old business practices, old strategies. That's not working. It has not worked. We've depleted our resources. We are with our backs against the wall. It's time for some change. Um, so I want to bring this to technology because I know that you're a futurist as well. And you always talk about the intersection between technology and sustainability. So if you had to pick one uh, technology that's available to supply chain leaders today, and that could, I don't know, help organizations uh, with their sustainability agendas, what would it be and why? Yeah, when we're talking specifically about supply chain, I think the, the best uh, the, the best lever that supply chain uh professionals can use is the the electrification of transportation. I mean, we, we've mm-hmm. talked about it already. Uh, if you shift all of your transportation to electric and then source all of your el- electricity from renewable sources, you cut your emissions enormously. Now, obviously, if you're not doing any transportation, you don't. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you are particularly if you're but you could work with suppliers, but you work with you could work with suppliers that are right and so exactly. you know, partners that are. Exactly. The other thing you need to do, of course, is you need to start measuring and reporting your emissions. Mm. Uh, If you're not doing it now, you will have to do it legally soon enough. Uh, And you should start setting targets as well for your emissions so that you have emissions reductions targets to try and meet and beat if possible. Uh, As I said, the, the, the low hanging fruit straight away is shift everything to electric. I, I mentioned transportation, but for example, uh, heating and cooling should mm-hmm. also be from electric. Uh, if you're involved in cooking, that should be using electric as well. And then it's shift as much as you can to electric and then just make sure that all your electricity is fully renewable. And right away, you'll hugely reduce your, your impact. And as I said, if you start measuring and setting targets, then, of course, you'll start to see where the emissions are coming from, and that'll give you, you know, more checkboxes to tick off as you move along. One, one other really useful tip that uh, some people might not appreciate me <laughs> saying. Yeah, go on. Is make sure that your emissions reduction targets uh, are, are uh, tied to executive KPIs and remuneration. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's a really, you know, before we close out here, I think that's a really important point, you know, because a lot of times these sustainability measures are not going hand in hand with the KPIs of a business, yeah. the uh, EBITDA, the you know profit margins, uh, et cetera. So 
that's a very valid point. Do you think that the future is going to be, you know, different? Do you think the future at share prices, you know, shareholder value, all these things will be tied? We're seeing that already. We're seeing that already because the investment community are getting really, really interested in sustainability and company sustainability stories. They're demanding ESG reporting from from Mm -hmm. organizations. And of course, it's hugely important then if the investors are looking for it, it's hugely important that you have an ESG story that you can tell a good one and that you report well against it. Because if the investment community are not happy with what you're doing, that impacts your ability to raise capital, Mm -hmm. uh, the cost of any capital you do raise, and it also impacts your share price. So suddenly this becomes a boardroom issue. Mm-hmm. What we're starting to see with the, the 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 increased focus now on ESG, what we're starting to see is that the uh, CSR as it was now ESG, the responsibility for that is shifting from the CMO organization to the CFO organization. So we started off this conversation saying that it was the marketing guys that were driving this and you're now seeing this you know, being driven now from financial side of things. And that's where it should be, because what's going to happen is when it is mandated that companies do report emissions, it will also be mandated that those emissions be auditable the same way financial reporting is. So there's going to have to be a rigor to the reporting that only will come from the likes of the CFO organization. So I Googled it while we were while you were talking, just to make sure that we that we were ready for the audience to tell them what ESG is. So it's environmental, social, and corporate social. governance. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. So I mean, that that is if you're talking about investors, if you're talking about this is going to be driven by that, you can't hide from it. Everyone's yeah. going to have this as part of their KPIs. And I love that point there. I think you're right. I think this, if you aren't, if you're listening and and you are not being targeted on this yet, you will be will be and it's not just that the investment community are looking for it it's that the regulators are starting to mm. regulate it it's that your employees are starting to demand it you're starting to get employee activists organizing mm. and demanding mm. that their companies you saw what they did to amazon you yeah. know a couple of years ago amazon and sustainability you wouldn't say them in the same sentence not in a positive yeah. way anyway <laughs> now now that they, now they've they've you know they've i won't say they've bought into the whole sustainability story, but they're putting but out they're a sustainability more. story. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, and then uh, your customers are going to demand it as well. I Another guest I had on the podcast was a guy called Ken Pucker. He's the former COO of Timberland. He's now mm-hmm. uh, teaching in Penn University. But he was saying that when they started in Timberland on their sustainability story, the people who applied to work with them were at a level far higher than they deserved to to be attracting. And it was because they were telling a good sustainability story. And he said, look, you know, the cost of getting good employees is really high and the cost of retaining them, you know, is is really or or not keeping them is really high as Mm -hmm. well, because Mm -hmm. then you have to attract new ones. So if you have a good sustainability story, you will get and keep good employees who want to work for companies who have a good sustainability story, a good purpose. So you're keeping and you're keeping your employee recruitment and retention costs down and you're attracting and keeping good customers. So, you know, you're getting in more income and you're reducing your costs out. It's a win-win. It's yeah. a win. Well, you know, and even then, if it wasn't a win-win, you have no choice. You know, you you have no choice. I think that that is the pressure is mounting and it's coming from all avenues, all like sides. you say, investors, 
consumers, employees, uh, you know, regulators, it is coming from all sides. So unfortunately, Tom, that's all the time that we have, but I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope I, we talk again. I think this is an important topic and I'm, I'm very eager to talk to you again and see, hopefully we'll have better news uh, as time goes on. I'm sure we will, Maria. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you. And for those of you listening, we'll see you again next time. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.